are listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey everybody, this is Mark Ballow from the Jersey Guys Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Tom Coyne. Today we've got a brand new episode for you. Uh, today we're talking with Mark Bowles. Uh, man, this guy's a, a man of many talents. Uh, been on a million projects over the years, right Tom? Yeah, maybe two million. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you basically, we can, you know, he started with Ingve. Uh, we go back even a little before that. When what you'll hear in the uh, the interview, uh, he was in Savoy Brown. He was with Ted Nugent for a period uh, early in the '80s. Um, Ingve, and then all through the years, I mean, things like Ring of Fire and just so much stuff, you know. So uh, we're gonna talk to him, and I guess we'll get right to the interview now. And uh, hope you guys enjoy this one. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Jersey Guys podcast. This is Mark. I'm here with my co-host, Tom, as always. And today we've got very special guest, Mark Bowles. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, man. This is, appreciate the time. Uh, are, you, you, are you on land today or are you, are you back on the cruise ship? Uh, no, well, I'm, I'm in my cabin, but um, we're, we're docked in Juneau, Alaska at the moment. Wow. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, yeah, we finally hooked up, so uh, it's great. Appreciate the uh, the time here. Um, I guess I'll get right into it. And uh, before I, I know Tom's got a big stack of, of CDs from everything you've sang on, and we're going to talk about all that good stuff. But uh, I guess let's start, kind of go back to the the early days of of Mark Bowles. Uh, I know you were involved with uh, Savoy Brown and Ted Nugent back in the uh, the early to mid '80s. There, can you talk a little bit about that in the beginning of your career? Yeah, um, <clears throat> Jim Simmons was the guy with uh, Savoy Brown. He w- he was basically the band. I mean, he was the band leader always, and he and he was based out of Ohio, believe it or not. He's a British guy. He's like king of the British blues guitar players. And uh, I hooked up with him in Ohio because that's where I'm from. I'm from Youngstown, Ohio originally, and uh, spent all my days learning my craft uh, around the Northeast Ohio area, which was really an amazing area for music when I was growing up. Uh, so many great artists came out of that area. Uh, Cleveland, Akron, Ken, Youngstown. I was from Youngstown, which is now a ghost town. But anyway, um, <laughs> I hooked up with him in, in a studio in Cleveland and uh, went out and started doing shows with him uh, around you know, New York and Chicago and Texas, basically. A lot of, a lot of circling around those places and blues clubs and stuff. And uh, I did that for quite a while and uh, recorded some stuff with him. It never got an album. I don't know what happened to the tapes, but we were recorded most of an album at that time, too. Um, but uh, as we were playing in Dallas and Ted Nugent came to one of our shows, there's all these famous guitar players coming out to see him because he was a legend. And uh, Nugent was impressed and asked me to uh, to join his band. So I you know, weighed all the possibilities and said, hmm, OK. <laughs> yeah, why not? And, right? uh, so that's how I hooked up with Ted Nugent. It was at uh, Texas Jam, actually, one of the big festivals that they had down in Dallas. Oh, okay. And uh, so uh, that uh, it was supposed to turn into an out al- me being on the album on a Penetrator album, but he got before they made the album, they got he got dropped from uh, Epic. He was on Epic for many years, mm-hmm. and he got a new deal on Atlantic. And Atlantic wanted to make him into some kind of a foreigner clone band, so they brought in a producer named uh, Ashley Howe from England, and they brought in another singer from uh, that was supposedly the original singer of Foreigner before Lou Graham, but yeah. apparently he'd never been in a band. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. Anyway, he ended up being on the album instead of me, but I'm, I ended, I was supposed to be sing and play bass. Uh, I was the lead singing bass player. That's what you know, wow. Ted Legion wanted. It. Yeah. Um, so so was this the album yeah, Penetrated uh, that, that Brian Howe ended up singing yeah. on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then he ended up coming on tour as a singer, and I went on tour as the bass player for that tour. Oh, interesting. So, I didn't know uh, that. Hmm. Yeah, and I was kind of disappointed, to say the least. Frustrated, hmm. disappointed. That was my, one of my first wake-up calls to the wonderful world of the music business. Hmm. <laughs> 
When you were in uh, Savoy Brown, was the manager by any chance a guy by the name of Arnie Goodman? Okay. No, uh, well, it might have been. He fired the manager when I joined the band. He just went through some kind of big lawsuit and stuff. Uh, he, I don't remember the details now. It could have been. I don't remember that name, though. Okay. Uh, I just remember who we were. Because he owned a record store in Brooklyn, Arnie, and he, he managed Savoy Brown for quite a long time. He had a whole bunch of acts, but one of them was Savoy Brown. And I was, it's kind of around the time period that you, you were in the band, so I was just curious if you knew who he was. Yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's the guy that he fired and sued. Whatever. <laughs> they could very well have been. <laughs> Sounds like a fit, actually. Because <laughs> uh, they had just done an album, and apparently the, he wasn't, pleased with whatever the business aspects were happening but he didn't talk that much about it except that he was uh, upset and they were going through some legal stuff how did you find your way to uh Ingve malmstein or should i say how did he find his way to you well after uh, my disappointing experience with ted nation i and i went through a divorce too that was kind of kind of like a hard time in my life yeah, i've been through two of those and, myself uh, I, so. In 1984, I moved to L.A. with $60 in my pocket, a couple bass guitars, and uh, I uh, hooked up with a couple of girls that put me up. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any job. I didn't have anything, but I, it didn't. It only took me... It, that time in L.A. was such a big music. Everybody mm -hmm. was there. You know, music was the... It was the, especially hard rock and metal and stuff. So I, I started jamming with bands immediately and uh, I started making demos with a guy named uh, Carrie Sharaf who was the guitar player on the first Billy Squire album and uh, Ingve's manager apparently heard uh, some of those demos and actually uh, I had I had auditioned for a band with Ainsley Dunbar, Ronnie Montrose and Tim Bogart wow. which fell apart and Ainsley recommended me to do the Ingve thing uh, also I found out so um that's how I got hooked up with them, and because uh, uh, apparently Jeff Scazzato, who had sang on the first couple Ingve records, were mostly instrumental, like there was some vocals. He quit, just quit the band. He found another project. There was so many shifting around in bands during that year, like nineteen. I guess it was nineteen eighty-five, and uh, he had a big tour coming up with AC/DC Ingve. So. Uh, yeah, he said, I think I rehearsed twice, and the first show was at uh, Oakland Stadium, uh, Day on the Green, uh, opening for Metallica, Scorpions, Rat, Y&T, etc. Wow. What was that like, going out in front of, what was it, probably 70,000, 80,000 people? Yeah, 80,000, and it was live on MTV, and I didn't know the songs, because Ingrid <laughs> uh, didn't, like didn't like rehearsing, so I kind of winged it. But the energy was so tremendous. The man, that was the first time I ever experienced that rush from a crowd that size. Just uh, that was, you know, that was the first first gig. And then we went on tour with ACC for for that rest of that year, and went back and went in the studio after that and did the trilogy album. And how did that album come about? What was the writing process? And uh, it, it to me, it, it's one of his three top records in, in terms of uh, songwriting. And how did that all come about? Well, as much as he doesn't like to admit it, the band co-wrote all the stuff. I mean, uh, Jens, the keyboard player, wrote a lot of a lot of material, especially the song you don't remember. He wrote that whole riff, the whole thing, and a lot of the other songs. For my part, Ingve would say, "Here's the title, man. Just just sing me anything. Just go go in there and sing." <laughs> like, <laughs> right? It kills me when he says it in interviews. He says, "Yes, I told everybody exactly what to do." <laughs> and I wrote everything, and I conducted everything, and I arranged everything, and I wrote everything, and I blah, 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 I, I, it's all a bunch of horseshit. <laughs> I'm sure everybody knows that. Well, say every, everybody should know if they're, if they're even remotely into hard rock metal, they should know uh, what Yngwie's all about, right? But at the time, I was, still, I was still a kid, and I didn't really know about the business. I just assumed I would get paid. But me, along with the rest of the band, we never got credit for our songwriting. We never got royalties. We never got paid, so... It's a learning experience. We're not the only ones. It's uh, right. it's part of paying your dues, I guess. Yeah. What was your feelings on this album, though, when you did it? I'm, I'm, you know, at the time, the first two Malmsteen albums were predominantly cutting edge instrumentals for that era, with a couple of you know vocal, mm -hmm. sparse vocals. This was his first 
uh, attempt at having like a proper band and, and proper vocals. What was your feelings on this album when it came out? Did you feel it was like a strong album and something you were going to stay in? Or did you know it was a cup of coffee and you were probably going to move on? You know, I, I no, I thought it was going to be something strong and something to build on and something to, you know, that could really become something. But as the time went on, I, I realized he, he had a really bad manager who was stealing all the money. He stole almost all the money. And uh, he just wanted to keep everybody away from Ingbay so he could control them. And so it was not not it was impossible to turn it into something that could be great, even though it had all the potential for it. I mean, it was a great band and it was a good chemistry. And you know, when we played live, it was incredible. It was, it was really great. It's a really strong album. It's, it's one of, in my opinion, of all the albums he's done as a solo artist, one of the top three or four. I would probably put this album, the Jolyn Turner album, and the first Goran Edmund album is the best musical albums he's done in terms of singing, song structure. And I myself thought it was going to be something that would have lasted longer with you. But it was the beginning of his stage of just, you know, jumping through every big name singer he could find in the industry, I, I guess. And well, I mean, he got all the chance, all the chances in the world. He had all the best guys. I mean, it went on and on and on. But, uh, you know, he just doesn't treat people right. He doesn't. He doesn't respect people, so people don't stick around. Yeah, it's basically nobody has anything nice to say about him. That being said, <laughs> I mean, I always looked at him as an as as an artist for the '80s was very instrumental in you know molding the '80s sound because I always felt he was even more of a groundbreaker than Eddie Van Halen or Randy Rhodes was in the sense of uh, his guitar style was really groundbreaking. And I've, I, I became very frustrated with him as an artist because I thought he said he should have did so much more with what he had. Well, that was part of, that was really part of my frustration too, because I wanted to see him do well, no matter what. Um, I, I always want to see people with talent do well because I've seen so many people with talent that haven't done well. It, it can go both ways. Sometimes you have too much talent and you don't know what to do with it. Wasting talent is just a terrible thing. and uh, But there's nothing I could do. I tried everything. Oh, I bet. I mean, if you listen to the first Alcatraz album that he was on, I always, you know, I, 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 the guitar playing is just so mold. That's actually probably his best guitar playing was on the first Alcatraz album. It was so melodic, so tasty. And he started to move away from that more and more as he went on with the whittly ditty, overly indulgent mm -hmm. guitar playing. Yeah, well, it just kept repeating itself. That right. was the problem to my ears. Uh, uh, since I spent so much time with him, and I, I spent a lot of time with him in his house, in his studio, and uh, hanging out with him, which was, those were the good times, actually. Just sitting down with him with a guitar and, and just oh, listening to him play and going through some ideas. He was really cool. Uh, on a one-on-one, -on -one, he was really cool to deal with. But when he gets around people, he thinks he has to be this character. Right, right. And he takes on this other personality. But, um, yeah, I was always frustrated with it. Uh, and uh, I know, you know, I've worked with uh, one of the guys that really influenced him, which he, he, he doesn't ever admit who influenced him, but Rich, he took Richie Blackmore's playing and Uli John Ross playing to another level. Yes. I mean, those were two, his two main influences. Yes. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I, I worked with Uli John Ross. I did an album with him, and I've toured with him a lot, too, so I... And, and he, he got to a point where he didn't even want to acknowledge or very early in his career he did reluctantly acknowledge those guys and later on in his career I've heard interviews where he did acknowledge he did not acknowledge them as being influences. I don't want to believe the Ingve thing but while we're on the subject of Ingve you did come back into the band and do other releases with us so if you could tell us a little bit how mm -hmm. how how you uh, revisited the train wreck. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, okay, I came back in 96 after 10 years of being away. Uh, I changed a lot in 10 years, so I figured that he must have too. And like the first cup, I went down to his house in Miami and in the studio a couple days, everything was really cool. Then on the third day, a bunch of people were around and he, he just switched back to that, right. you know, fake personality. And it was the same old, same old thing pretty much. And, uh, so I, I went away again, and I came back a few years later, I guess three years later, and uh, tried it again, and uh, I kept trying. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely. 
Well, you, you know, the p potential for a, a great formula was there based on the first album that you did with him, which I thought really has yeah. stood the test of time. So I, I could understand why you'd want to relive uh, in hopes of, a, of, of that magic happening again. Yeah, well, I, you know, of all the things that he's recorded in time, I've never heard him play as well as he did when I was just sitting with him in the room, mm. uh, just me and him. He's playing the guitar. He plays amazing, flawless, fantastic virtuoso melodies and stuff. Oh, no, he could. He's just too. Yeah. The, the first thing, the but first Alcatraz album, the, the, the leads on that are so melodic and, and it's so expressive and, and tasty and... He didn't yeah. stick with that formula for a very long time. He got super overindulgent. And well, you know, he just plays the same sweep arpeggios over it, and over right, again. Right. So, so out of the three albums that you, when you came back, I know you, you did the uh, the Al Alchemy album that I like a lot. I really like that a lot. The Inspiration album, which was a, a covers album, which you sang some songs on, and right. the Rising Force. Mm -hmm. What was your opinion on those three albums? Did anything stand out or... Are you happy with well, them? Unhappy. War Ten, War Ten Wars too. That one. Yes. Right. That was the last one I did with him. Which with that one, he he mixed he mixed it himself, which it doesn't sound. Very that good. had a horrible sound. That album. <laughs> it sounds like it. It sounds like he did. <laughs> yeah, that was his mix. Uh, but I mean, after all the years of, it's, I mean, he used to play through so many amps on stage. They weren't. I mean, now he's got all those fake cabinets. They're all there, fake. Yeah. Back right. in the back in the day, they were they were on. The, at least the bottom cabs all the way across the stage were on and uh i had to i had to wear earplugs and i had when they finally invented in-ear monitors that saved my life i um, bet but but i imagine he's lost a lot of hearing so he has no business trying to mix anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i'm going to throw a few things at you and you tell me your your opinions maybe i'll tell you my opinions maestro alex gregory how did that come about <laughs> That guy's a nutcase. I know that. <laughs> that's what, that's why it's the first one I'm hitting you with. Well, I mean, he, he talks a good game. I, he he had me fully convinced he was doing something. I mean, I I could tell he was insane, but I I've been around kind of you know, I want to, I shouldn't say insane savant kind of people, but right. he's actually insane. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought he's just some kind of savant, and uh, yeah, he had he had this deal with Hollywood Records, and uh, you know, he had all these. Ideas, mag magnificent ideas, and uh, John Reed was going to manage him, and blah blah blah. So uh, I recorded some stuff with him, and uh, actually, I'm, I'm proud of the, the vocals I did because they're pretty incredible. Oh he yeah, pushed, that, kept pushing me. Yeah, very. The, the songs that you did on it were really strong. He kept pushing me to sing higher than than I did with Ingvay. <laughs> so, <laughs> As if that was possible. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. So anyway. Well, let, let's um, move on yeah, to yeah. the year later after that. You had uh, Billionaire's Boys Club, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that was a fun thing. and I, It was just a, a weird thing happened. York, York, was it York? Yeah, York Fisher was the guitar player, and he kind of put it together with me and Anders and, uh, and the bass player from Sweden, Magnus. And uh, I thought it was I, – I, I sang all the, those uh, songs in my bedroom <laughs> holding a microphone they they recorded all their stuff in sweden and they they didn't have we didn't have a deal so we were doing everything on a budget but they they brought it the multi-track they rented one and, and you know these things are like i'm talking you know a 24 track machine it's i don't know they weigh like 300 pounds mm -hmm. 350 pounds something like that okay these guys brought brought it upstairs into my bedroom and <laughs> i had a console up there i had a little studio and, and uh they brought me this real expensive microphone, but they didn't have a clip for it or a stand. So I ended up holding the mic and jumping around and singing. And it was the most fun I had singing on any record, actually. <laughs> and it sounds like it. I think it sounds really cool. But what happened in the end was Jorg uh, kind of disappeared. And uh, so the project just didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, we got signed to, yeah, we got signed to a label and stuff. But uh, when it came time to tour, I don't know. He was doing all kinds of other business deals or something. I don't know what happened, but he just disappeared. So this was put together with the intentions of actually being like a real band. Yeah, yeah. I, I still to this day wish it could have been. Yeah, I do it too. I, I mean, actually, if this record would have came out three or four years earlier, it would have been a really yeah. big deal with this oh, yeah. this lineup. It, you know, it kind of was that '93 yeah. period where things were coming totally unglued to begin with. 
Yeah, the 80s were over, mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately. But this lineup, you know, with, with the Accept connection and the Yngwie connection with you, you, you and Johansson, Magnus Rosen, it, it would have been really a big deal three or four years earlier. Yeah. It's a very strong so. record, too. It has a, a couple of really, really outstanding songs, especially the first song on the album is really killer. Yeah, it's just it's just fun. I I still remember singing that stuff in my bedroom, and it, it was it was really fun. <laughs> no, I bet it's a really really good album, and it's just it, it it's kind of I, I guess bad timing and in, in, in terms of the style for 1993. Yeah, I think well, I think if we could have toured and maybe done another album, something could have come from it, you know. So I wanted to ask you about another project you were involved in. That's a big favor of mine called the uh, Codex. What could you tell us mm-hmm. about that? just a project album with the magnus carlson who's really great great guy and great guitarist great songwriter um and he uh he just got so busy we were planning on doing more of those but he got so busy with frontiers just has him pumping out the oh yeah they gobbled him up yeah he's he's on a chain he's (laughs) on a chain gang for them yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's we, I call it the sausage factory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could call it that too. Yes. <laughs> but that was a very uh, good album. Another another album that I wish there was more of because when it came out, I thought this again the songs were very strong, and I thought it was a good combination. Yeah, there were a couple, some, couple songs on there I really liked. So, but we, unfortunately, he's just he got too busy to do anymore. And we were on Frontiers and. Uh, that's a whole nother can of worms. That mm. is another whole can of worms. We can save that for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> so how did the Ring of Fire, uh, which really became a very strong project that you were involved with for, for quite a few albums, how did that all come about and, and the musicians, uh, they were all standouts in the industry, how did that all come off the ground? I did the Alchemy album. Uh, a label in Japan uh, offered me to do uh, a solo album, and uh, so I just I picked up 
musicians in LA that, uh, that I thought would be, you know, great. And actually, I don't know how I found Vitaly. That's a, that's a, I don't remember how I found Vitaly. But uh, Tony, I, I went, I, I tracked down Tony myself. I hadn't met him or anything. I met him for a beer and some pizza and we talked about it. And he was like, yeah, what's that album? <laughs> I said, okay. That's and, Tony McAlpine, said, if yeah, someone's not know doesn't this, know. Yeah. I know this drummer. I know this drummer. He's really good. He just got here from Australia, Virgil Donati. He's really good. You got to check him out. And so I said, okay, all right. And so then we got Virgil and then we have Vitelli. God, I can't remember how I got Vitelli. Oh, I remember now. Vitelli kept was one. He kept bugging Ingbe to put him in the band. He kept calling Ingbe like every day. Really? Okay, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It was like when we were doing the Alchemy album, he said, Ingbe, you'll have to have me in your band. You'll have to have me in your band. <laughs> and and uh, Ingbe talked about him nonstop and and played me all of his uh, our attention records and stuff. And that's how that's how I got Vitelli. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So I I flew Vitelli out to L.A. and. Uh, and we made it. We made it the, the Mark Bowles Ring of Fire, which is a solo project, and then uh, it it went really well. And I liked the guy so much, I said to make it a band, and that's how it happened. So did it all start off from, from from the album Ignition going forward? Is is that how it all came about? No, Ignition was kind of like a, it was kind a of like off. an abortion. Yeah, yeah, that just didn't that didn't work out. As uh, it was really great musicians on there and stuff, but I I don't know what I was thinking. I was out of my mind. Yeah, the so, song, um, the song, the song uh, selections were uh, a little eclectic. It was all over, the, all over the map. Yeah. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to be nice. That's all right. <laughs> but uh, you know, I had Doug, I had Doug Aldrich and Chris Frazier on there. I had really and Barry Dunaway. It was a great band, so it sounded good anyway. It did. But, but the songs, we should have had different songs. That's all. So I'm going to throw another one at you. Holy Force, an album that I really, really have gotten into. I just actually stumbled upon this like a year or two ago. What could you tell? It's a very uh, strange lineup. Um, how did you get involved with that? Uh, that's a guy. You know, I can't remember now the guys from Taiwan or China. I think it's I, 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 yeah, I, I think he's a China. I think he's from I thought he was from China, but the guitar player. Yeah. Yeah, he approached me for for this, and he offered me a pile of money at the time, which sounded very good. And uh, and also, he had me sing a song in Chinese, which was kind yes, of he did. interesting. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> your Chinese ain't half bad. <laughs> for, for a guy from a from a guy from Ohio, your Chinese ain't half bad. Yeah, I have I have nothing to reference that to. So okay. Uh, but yeah, that was just a one off. But it just hired me as a session singer for that. So. Well, that was my. Quite some of these things is is it there's there's no intentions of being any type of touring or doing guest appearances. It's strictly for an album, do the session, and that's it. Yeah, sometimes, but uh, you know, there's always a chance that it's going to be come out something good, and 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 that could change depending on what it is. Uh, but um, I love singing and making making music, so. Uh, I don't. As long as people have a budget to do something and they have something to work with, some kind of music that that I can sound good on and that, that'll make some kind of a good impression on the universe of music. <laughs> no, it still I, does. I, I it really do it. does. Yeah. Your vocals, you know, they, they, you're part of a of a niche of American singers that have had great, uh, you know, life life expectancy. I mean, Joe Lynn Turner, Je Jeff Scott Soto, yourself, uh, mm -hmm. Mike Facera. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I, I know myself as a fan, anything I see you guys on, I buy without knowing. And I know there's a lot of people like that because you want to hear, you want to hear those vocals. So it does have a lot of, wow, uh, yeah, it, it, it really does. So it's, uh, it's appreciated by the fans and it, very much so. Thanks. Well, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. And, and uh, that absolutely. keeps me, that's what keeps me alive. Oh, absolutely. So. <laughs> Um, Mark, with all the, the stuff you, you mentioned and Tom's been going through a bunch of stuff here, um, with everything, like you, you said, you know, what is your kind of criteria when, when someone approaches you, if it's someone you're not familiar with, how, you know, do you want to hear the music first or what, what is your criteria to say, Hey, yeah, I'm interested in doing this. That's a good question. I like Thank that. You. <laughs> well, yeah, I have to, I have, I've obviously I have to hear the music first, uh, first of all, to see if it's a, a professional level of, of, you know songwriting and, and production and and then it has to it has to be something that s suits my voice that i can sing and sound good on um 
that's a pretty wide range of stuff though that I could sing and sound good on. So yeah. Do you do you do any any you know, songwriting where you maybe come in if are are songs already given to you or do you kind of like put your own spin on them and? Well, I do both. Uh, it depends on what what they want. I mean, some people have the songs all written and just want me to sing them, but I I'll usually you know change things here and there, but uh, just to make it sound a little better, and uh, they always appreciate that. But sometimes they come to me with just uh, music, and they want me to do the lyrics and the melody. And it's it's you know it's uh, I, it it varies. Well, I have so, another project I'm going to throw out at you, and I wanted to get your feedback on it. Uh, Crywood. What could you tell me about that? Oh, that guy's from Poland. Yes, he is. Uh, yeah, and he has uh, he he works with Joran Edmund. He's, I've done a couple of things with him. With uh, right. I did a, I you're on two. You're on. For your information, you're on two of the three albums that he's done. <laughs> yeah, I guess, uh, you know, sometimes I, I do so many things, I lose track of it. But um, I remember that, yeah. And I just I actually just sang on a couple of songs for something he's doing now, too, that uh, Yoran is singing on also. Oh, interesting. Okay, because he's got three of them. They were, yeah, I don't know what he's when he's going to put that out. But, uh, yeah, I just recorded something like a couple months ago with him. And uh, Am Amorello... Black Friday edition project. What could you tell me about that? That's something I, I had to buy the vinyl for because they actually didn't press it on CD to annoy me. Wow. I don't even have that. Why don't I have that on vinyl? I, I love vinyl. Yeah, yeah, it's only on vinyl. I had to I, buy the vinyl and my good partner here, Mark, transferred it onto CD for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you can send me the vinyl. Uh, no, just kidding. No, if uh, you need it, I'll send it to you. I'm not, I, it's, it's sitting in, in my basement. I think I just sang on one song on that, right? Uh, yes, Holy Men. Yeah, yeah, that was just a, a single song. Uh, is that is this something also? Again, it's it's totally a project because it's really hard to get information on it on the internet. It's like kind of anonymous. Yeah, I, I never heard from him again after you just hired me to sing on that one song, and then I never heard anything. So. And then you ended up on, on on the CUNY project, which is something when, when we talk about Jeff Scott Soto leaving Malmsteen, he actually left Malmsteen to jettison to CUNY. And you ended up appearing on a, a later CUNY release about 10 years ago. Yeah, that was never supposed to be released. That was a demo I did with him. That was just really, really awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really awful, awful, awful demo. And, you know, it's... It, I even was going to sue him, but I mean, I, I didn't know. <laughs> it's like funny it because when it came out, it, it had that, you know, like some of his early stuff was really good. Like the stuff that Soto sang on. And um, he had another one with, um, oh, I forget who the singer was. It was an American guy for the third album. And this one was, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a little weird to say the least. It's an awful demo. Yeah. And it was never supposed to be released. Wow. I never gave permission for it to be released. Oh, really? Wow. I okay. guess I should, I should have just paid somebody to, to go and kick him in the butt or smack <laughs> him in the head. Or something. That's interesting. I see. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he became a, a, an A&R guy for JBC Records in Japan. Uh, so that's what happened to him uh, after. I mean, I think it was a long period. He didn't release anything, right? I, I, don't, think he's that, done, yeah, I don't think he's done anything since then. Yeah. Unless I missed it, which I doubt. But, yeah, I don't think he's done anything since then. Before I keep, uh, yeah. I'm going to run on to one other thing, again, that I just recently found out that you were on, that I, I picked up and I really liked it a lot. It's called the uh, Takayoshi Omahora Nowhere to Go. Oh, Amora. Yes. Yeah, and there's a, there's a new record with him. I just did a song on It's uh, even better. Oh, really? I don't have that. Did it come out? Uh, I think so. They just sent sent me a wave file they didn't send me or did they send me a cd no they didn't send me a cd i gotta ask them for that um i'm sure it's out you were on Wait, this oh, with the Do yeah. doogie white and um richie, yeah, yeah, richie yeah. Cotson. You, yeah yeah it's a really strong record yeah, i was yeah. very impressed by it yeah that's a while back that was a while back but i just did another a song on on a new thing that he has uh which is much more mature and, and really sounded commercial oh, i gotta really look good. for that I, I didn't know that so what could you tell us about uh, Shiny? Me, and actually, me and, Go ahead, me and Doogie went to Japan and did a concert with him, actually, with, and Vitaly, too. Me, Doogie, and Vitaly went to play with him <laughs> in wow. Tokyo. That wow. was pretty interesting. Was there any video of that up on one, YouTube? I don't know. That was a few years ago. Hmm. Um, 
Because usually anything Japanese-related, uh, there's always some type of video that surfaces. Uh, oh, I know. Yeah. I know. One of the best okay. projects I think Here's you've been part. involved with, with for years is, is Shining Black. This is really, in my opinion, and Mark shares the same opinion with me, super, super outstanding material. Two albums worth. Tom and I were just talking about that before we gave you a call. And, uh, yeah, I, I love these mm -hmm. albums. These are really, really good albums. Really top shelf. Thanks, man. I appreciate you guys. I wish Frontiers would, would uh, put something behind it because uh, they really didn't promote it at all. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say and, that. Uh, I mean, it's it's a shame because you just talked about Frontiers a few minutes ago. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people kind of know what they do. They really don't kind of promote the stuff that they put out there properly. You know, they kind of, you know, throw it out there and see what sticks, so to speak. Yeah, and that's so hard in today's world. That doesn't work, really, to build a new band. I mean, if you have, yeah, if you have a, a, a name band that's been out there forever, you can do that. But because uh, the fans, they'll be fans. But when you have something new... You have to you have to do something. I mean, I didn't. They didn't even have me do, have me do some of uh, some podcast interviews. There was no magazines, no nothing. Really? Not even wow, in that's Japan. too bad. That because it's, it's so good. Both albums are so strong. And in Japan, we got the the newest, the last album. We got a ninety four in Burn magazine. They that? never yeah. go above ninety. I know. Wow. I know. Oh, that's incredible. Well, uh, talk a little bit about the, so the Shining little... Black. Uh, how did that all come about? Well, that's with me and Olaf Thorson. He's a guitarist with a band also called Labyrinth. And I was supposed to work with them, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, their singer had quit, and I was going to do something with them, but the timing didn't work out. But Olaf, uh, apparently, is a fan of mine, and uh, he had a project with Frontiers and said, would I be interested in writing some stuff with them and doing a project? And I said, sure. And, uh, yeah, I was really really felt good about the first record and looked forward to doing the second one and i think the second one's even better we're both we're both really happy with it we'd love to go out and, and play some shows and and do more records and uh, we're planning on trying to do that but it's not easy without a label behind you yeah uh so i i'm really i love those i love the, both of those releases too my kids like it too and then my, <laughs> my kids are very picky Wow, nice. Well, I was telling Tom, and I don't know if this is like a, something you're really familiar with, but I was listening to the newest album on the way down to do the podcast tonight, and uh, it, it sort of reminded me of of the German band Fair Warning. Uh, it's 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 oh, okay. hard rock, but it's it's got a really good, a lot of nice, good hooks to it, and very melodic in a way. Yeah, we weren't trying to uh, fit any box, you know, so it might not fit neatly into any of the boxes that are out there for genres but um just tried to make good music you know yeah and no, hope people appreciate it yeah you definitely old, old school for sure well, it has that cool, it has that euro vibe to it i think that's what mark was going with there and yeah. i saw the same that has that euro vibe mm -hmm. and your vocals seem to be like you're able to cut that higher end like a, a tommy hart and some of those other uh, top and uh, german singers so it has a little bit of that you know like that euro metal feel with really strong songs. Did you guys write these songs together or how did the whole writing process yeah. happen? 
Yeah, well, it's a little different with him. Uh, he had me write all the melodies, um, mm. and he had ideas for the lyrics. So I just wrote the melodies on all the songs. He wrote the music and the. Uh, I helped him with some of the arrangements, but all the melodies are mine. Interesting, because yeah, so the, the songs that's are really, really catchy. Songs are real catchy. Thanks, thanks. So, well, yeah, I, we're we're both hoping to do something with that, but you know, it's just coming out of COVID now, and it's. <laughs> It's still it's a weird situation to get to go out and do gigs now. All the uh, you know famous bands, I, I don't know, established big mm -hmm. name bands are out there touring like crazy now. So yeah, and it's still you know we still can't get into Japan. Uh, it's not you can't do uh, foreign acts can't really do shows there yet. I mean maybe some big acts are, but you have to still have to quarantine and stuff, and it's just like that's not doable. Oh wow! Yeah, so we'd love we'd love to go out and play Japan. We could probably do that. Because yeah. uh, we both have a lot of fans in Japan, and they they treat you like a king over there. So sure, yeah. so I've heard. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let, let's do a little bit because it's you know we talked about a bunch of your albums and and things you've been on over the years. Uh, talk a little bit about your time in in Dokken. Um, how did that all come about? I know you started to kind of do some shows with Don when he was playing acoustically, and that kind of morphed into you <laughs> becoming the bass player, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, yeah. It, it started with the doing acoustic shows with him. That's that was a whole nother thing because we didn't have any. It was just me and him on the road, and he he really needs a caretaker because, uh, you know, he's used to having a tour manager wake him up and get him to the airport. And so I had to I had to wear a few different hats yeah. on that. But uh, but I love the guy. He's he's really sweetheart and he's so nice to me. And man, he can tell some cool stories. He knows a lot of stories. In fact, in fact, when we did the acoustic shows, half of the time we were up there, he was telling stories, and the crowd loves that too. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but anyway, he was doing an album. He was doing a Broken Bones album at the time, and uh, he wasn't happy with the bass player. And I was—he was going to have me play bass on that, but it was already uh, like a year behind schedule. He ended up having me do all the background vocals on there, uh, and he loved the way I did—I blended with him harmony-wise. And uh, he ended up playing the bass on, on that album himself because he didn't like the bass player. And then when it came time to do some shows, he said, hey, do you want to play bass? What do, you, what, do you, what do you think? I said, yeah, why not? And so I started, went out and started doing some stuff with him. And I, I, I you know, everybody, I got, I got kind of some flack from some people like, why are you playing bass? You're a better singer than him. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, because that's, that's what... You know he's the singer and uh, i helped him out though live on shows i felt good about it because i could sing all the high parts and he would sing lower and it was it worked out fine it was fun it was fun a lot of fun and that was just what you did one the one tour with him the broken bones kind of era there and that was it right yeah 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 and i should have kept it going but then i got i was doing this uh rock vault show in vegas and at the time it was going really strong and really good and paying a lot of money and i could be home with my family more and so I kind of made the choice to do that. Hmm. And uh, and I don't know if that was the right choice now, because later on they stopped paying and, and <laughs> oh, really? I had to quit. Well, I was going to ask you about yeah. that. How did you kind of segue into the whole uh, Rock Vault thing, uh, raiding the Rock Vault out in Las Vegas? Well, John Payne was a friend of mine, and he's the one that put it together, basically. He, he had the idea to put the whole thing together. Um, and uh, I was supposed to be in the original, original show, but... They, I don't know. The produce he had, he had all this whole team of people and investors, and they invested millions of dollars, and they had their own ideas. And, but I ended up coming into the show about three months after they started, and it was still a big production with like actors and singer, dancers, singer, actors. We had uh, four four lead singers or five lead singers. I don't know. We had me, Andrew Freeman, Robin McCauley, Paul Shortino. Uh, Paul Shortino. Yeah, and that's that's it, I guess. That's four. It's only four. Okay. Yeah. I and mean, it was a female singer too. It was always Stephanie Calvert was the first one. Oh, okay. From Starship, with, uh, right? Yeah. Mickey yeah. Thomas, yeah. But but man, we had great musicians. Howard Lease on guitar, Doug Aldrich on guitar, Tracy Guns on guitar. It's just uh, incredible. And the uh, Jay Jay Shellen from Yes on drums, and that that was a really good thing for uh, just five years. It went really strong. So. Now that that segued into your involvement in something else out in Vegas. It was the Tenors of Rock. How did that all come about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, one of the singers uh, needed to have sinus surgery, so 
he asked if I could fill in and, and I, then I started doing it pretty much pretty regularly because mm-hmm. I was around and those, those all, all British guys, except, uh, one guy who was from Australia and, uh, I wasn't British at all, but, uh, that's okay. I was a good <laughs> singer, so I, what was funny is I, I have, I guess it's a weird little connection because, you know, us being the Jersey guys and, and I'm, I'm born and raised in Jersey, lived here my whole life I'm from a, a little town in Northern New Jersey called Kearney, New Jersey. And one of the guys that was I kind of, Carney. do you? Yeah. Is we that have some friends from there? Okay. Well, what I wanted to bring up was, uh, when I was a teenager, uh, I had some friends that played guitar, uh, in high school and they took lessons from Chris Chiquino, who I think you probably know, right? From the tenors of rock. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good friend of mine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's in rock of ages for years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Started out with rock of ages and I know he relocated, uh, out to Las Vegas years ago and, uh, was involved in a lot of those shows out there. Yeah. He's a cool guy. You know, I, I still do occasional gigs with him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was cool. I, I actually was doing a little research when we were getting ready to do the podcast and I, I stumbled across a video on YouTube of, uh, I think you were doing, uh, an Aerosmith song and I'm like, I'm watching the video. I'm going, wait a minute. I know that guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I like to keep singing all the time. Got to keep the voice in shape. Sure. Uh, yeah. The old thing, all those old cliches are really true. The one, if you don't lose it, use it, you lose it. That's very true. That's what happens to a lot of singers. Yeah. A lot of times people ask me, well, how do you keep your voice? And I say, because you keep singing. Don't stop. Right. It's a muscle. Yeah. So yes, I, it is. And, and it needs more care the older you get. I wanted to ask you about one other project. I, I'm trying to leave uh, as few stones unturned as possible. <laughs> your, your time in uh, Royal Hunt. Oh, good one. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I did two, two albums with them. Uh, really great band. The, the only problem is it, it's, it became more of a solo project for Andre Anderson, who's right. the, the founder of the band. And uh, he produces everything and he writes everything. He didn't really allow any co-writing. And so a lot of the band members left because of that. And, uh, and I personally left because I didn't feel that my voice really fit that the style of music that he was doing, which is really Scandinavian kind of, it's cool. It's really cool. But I told him, you know, he kept complaining about DC Cooper. And, but I, I told him, I said, honestly, I thought the best Royal Hunt stuff was with DC Cooper singing. Cause I thought he fit the music better than me. Um, and that's, you know, that's totally, uh, that's, I was just telling him how I truly felt. Yeah. No, that's um, interesting. And that's actually a good, that's, good point. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it wasn't like I couldn't sing that stuff, but uh, I didn't feel it was it's one the one time when I felt like uh, because I wanted him to, to I wanted the band to be great. Anything I work with, I want them to be the best they can be, and have the most success they can have. And uh, so we're still friends and I still do guest appearances uh, now and then on, on a Royal Hunt record here and there. Was a very so, Scandinavian uh, sounding band, yet he had an infatuation with American singers, DC Cooper, John West, yourself, you know, you're not going to get. Yeah, I mean, and John, John West is a great singer, too. And uh, I John's think, terrific, and he fit yeah. the band well. He, he's a stronger, and I think, well, I think both of us are stronger singers than DC Cooper, but I thought DC Cooper, his voice just fit better, I thought. I don't yeah, know. Prob- well, I, I, I never <laughs> thought John West was a fit for them because John has got more of like almost like a Ray Gillen, you know, American blues uh, element to his voice. Mm-hmm. So I never saw him, you know, I, I the, the records he did with him were actually pretty strong, but I, I never thought he was a fit either. But again, like a very Scando type of sounding band, yet he always wanted mm-hmm. American singers in the band. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, we had like, for example, Marcus Jadell was a guitar player with them when I was with them and he's moved on. He played, he was playing with a band called what was he playing with? Evergrey. And he played with some other famous uh, European band. And he actually has a studio. And he's producing a lot of albums for for metal bands. And actually, he won a Grammy, I think. Uh, well, he was at least nominated. I think he won a Grammy last last year or the year before hmm. uh, for his producing. So he's done quite well. But he would have he stayed with the band, but Andre wouldn't, co-write, wouldn't let him co-write. So um, it's kind of like a, it's like a whole different band now. It's all, all the musicians are different, except Andre. Yeah. Well, let's let's move um, as we kind of like f- come towards the end here and finish up. I want to talk to you about a band um, by the name of Foundry, 
which I guess is a, a Las Vegas based band that you've been involved with for a few years now. And I don't think there's anything actually as far as an album, but you've released a bunch of singles, right? Can you talk a little bit about Foundry? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the way he, the, the drummer is, it's his band. He's the band leader, but we do co-write and uh, we've been working with a great producer named Colin Britton who does all the Papa Roach stuff. And uh, we're, pl- we're planning on doing some more releases with him this year. But yeah, at some point there'll probably be an album. But for right now, he just wants to do singles. He said an album's a waste of time. Nobody buys CDs and blah blah blah. Yeah. That's not so, true. So I though. mean, there's different ways. <laughs> That's not I true. Know. I know. You're a vinyl know, guy. You just said you're a vinyl guy, so you know that's not true. I, I'll buy vinyl, um, but I mean, the CDs are frustrating because I, I don't even have a CD in my computer. There's no CD thing in my computers anymore. There's mm. no CD player in my car yeah, anymore. That's true. Everything. Um, yep. USB, like, digital. Where do I? Stream. Where do I put it? I mean, yeah. And I don't watch. I don't. I have DVD player, but that's like in my TV room, and and I don't even watch DVDs anymore. The movies are all streaming, so yeah. Um, it's a different world, and it's it's. I'm trying to figure. I'm still trying to figure. I'm it out. still trying to figure it out too, because uh, I'm one of these guys that believe it or not, if I don't have a physical product, I can't digest the music. I have to look at the booklet. I want to know who produced, who sang. Yeah. I want to see, I have to have physical product to be at peace with myself to digest the music. Now, this might be the, the ramblings of, yeah. a luna, of a lunatic, but it might also just be a, a child of the 60s and the 70s, which is what I am. But that's that's uh-huh. me. Well, see, I, I remember when I was a kid, I had to have, well, it was just albums. And it was before they even had cassettes, or they had, they had cassettes then, but it was too small to look at. I have to have the album. So when I put the music on, I can look at the yes. album cover yes. and, read, and read the credits and exactly. I have it in my hand. And I, I feel like I have some kind of physical contact Correct. with the band. Exactly. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I was born in 1958. I, I grew up with the Beatles. I grew up with the, the British Invasion. And that was my first introduction. And I had to have every Beatles, Stones, Dave Clock Five, Paul Revere and the nice. Raiders single. <laughs> And it's it's it has stuck with me my whole life, and I'm still that way. When I see somebody puts out something and it's download only, and Mark will tell you, I'm the mm. first one. I'm like furious. Like, where yeah. is the CD? Yeah. At least give me vinyl, because at least right. I know Mark will transfer it for me. But <laughs> I have to have physical product to feel like I make the right connection. I want to know about the band. You know, I'm I'm a bit of a geek yeah, when it comes you know, to that. that yeah. That's, yeah. It's, both me and Olaf for Shining Black. Going back to Shining Black, we we begged frontiers to put out to put it out on vinyl and they said no and i, I said we'll pay for it we'll pay they wouldn't let, let us they won't let us make vinyls even so it's really uh really not a good situation we're trying to figure that out still but before you guys go let me tell you there's a new ring of fire album finished and that's coming out soon oh, that's, we don't have a date yet that's but, really oh, interesting okay, okay. yeah i was going to ask you if you had anything on the horizon yeah that's in the can and uh frontiers has it <laughs> <laughs> you're you're sucked into that frontiers vortex. <laughs> well, it's like everybody. Uh, everybody everybody is. Brother is. Everybody is. Yeah. I mean, White Snake has been on there. Toto has been on there. Uh, Night Rain. I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of the only quote Journey. unquote right. Yeah. It's it's about the only if you want to call it a major. I guess it's in today's in today's parlance. It's a it's a major uh, label. Yeah, they've got a lot of money, but they're. Just the way they're handling it is not good. It's just not good for the artist. I don't see how it's good for them either. I mean, because don't you want the you know the, the products you're putting out to sell? I mean, I don't know. I think that seems like a good business. It's a very strange dynamic because it's it's an Italian-based label that signs a lot of American and and, and Swedish artists, and it, mm-hmm. it's kind of set up as a recipe for disaster because they're they're in Italy, but they have a penchant for American artists, uh, Swedish artists, and it's just like a disconnect. You know, it's it's set up for failure. It, it suits really big artists like like a Toto or a, a mm-hmm. White Snake um, because they're going to do their own tours. They they got the bucks behind them. They have you know the drawing power and mm-hmm. and all their strong suits. But for every other artist, it's kind of you know it it's, it, it looks yeah. good. You know, it moves some product, but it really doesn't do anything to push a band. 
Yeah, they don't even print very much product. I mean, they it's almost like they don't hear this and get mad at me because they're Italian. So, <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> anyway. mean, you know, it's like uh, I, I know I know I mean, me and Mark have been involved with the scene for so long. We know all these guys. I, I don't think anybody, really, you know, it's like it's it's the it's the truth. It's not like we're not really telling tales out of school. It's it's the truth. So it's. What do they press on their CDs? Do you do they tell you guys? Or do they press a thousand, two thousand, three thousand? Um, they don't tell us, but yeah. I know it's a very small quantity. Yeah, that's what I figured. I know it. It's probably it's probably like a, a probably the most of two thousand press. I would I would guess. Yeah, I mean, and we can sell that many just in Japan. I mean, I don't know what they're doing, and they have distribution worldwide. They have good distribution. Uh, they do. Um, they have all everything everything they need and actually they used to promote somewhat like 10 15 years ago I, i've known uh, serafino since like they they started out in like 1999 mm -hmm. i started working with them right and they actually used to do so because they didn't have so many artists and now they're putting out eight albums a month i know and they just throw them all out there i know yeah well that's what i was going to say that that might you know like you said when you first started working with them it was a little more they didn't have the volume that they have nowadays now it's like kind of like let's throw as much out there as we can and like you know i said before let's see what sticks type of thing yeah yeah it's unfortunate i always continue to be optimistic and uh try to learn as much as i can and, and keep moving yeah sure well uh, yeah well any anything else you mentioned ring of fire should be coming out somewhat soon anything else uh in the pipeline you can mention or talk about uh i i, I am working on something really interesting right now but i can't talk about it yet because it's just in the planning stages but um okay keep your eyes open where and look uh, out for the ring of fire album yeah good. no definitely where where can people uh keep up to date on on your happenings is there a social or website that you have uh, yeah, I have a website. Uh, I think it's called markvolsofficial.com, I think. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I'm so uh, retarded when it comes to the social media thing, and I really need to get somebody to handle it for me so it can be updated. I have better. somebody to handle it for um, me, my partner. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's quite a bit younger than myself. So. Yeah, it's just, I just don't have time for it. It's, it's very time-consuming, so... Um, but I, I need to, I'm going to, with this new thing that I'm doing, I, I'm going to be really getting things more in order. So, yeah, it, I'm pretty sure it's markbowlsofficial.com. And, and I have a couple of regular Facebook pages, Mark Bowles uh, and Mark Robert Bowles. And then there's a Mark Bowles official fan site, too, on Facebook. And that goes along with the, uh, what is it, Instagram? Mm, yeah, yeah, Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> and all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody that wants to talk to me anytime. I, I, I'm fully open to uh, conversing with fans and stuff. So, I have one question so, for you, Mark. It's a, it's, it's a little bit off topic of, of you know going through albums, just an observation. And I'm, I, 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 I'd like your input to see if I'm, I'm crazy or maybe I'm onto something. Do you, as an artist, as we sit here in 2022 see that there's a total disconnect in terms of the United States uh, and, and the contributing to melodic hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, uh, compared to the way things were in previous years. Because I, I see that, you know, like I just don't see bands. I see bands from Sweden, Germany, uh, Finland. I just don't see bands coming out of the States. And I think it really, really stagnates uh, the scene. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I see that too, but I don't know the cause of it. I, I really don't know. Is, is there lack of bands, or they're just not getting attention, or they gave up, or right? I don't know. I, I, I can't figure it out either. But like I, you know, I when you talk to network people all over the world, like I do, and I'm I'm sure you do too, obviously. There, this mm -hmm. music is still big in a, most areas of Europe. It's huge in Brazil and Japan and. Mm -hmm. Russia yep. and, and the United States, there's like we maybe once once a year, there's a band that comes out of the States that, again, gets no recognition. A, a Native Sons, uh, you know, uh, Greta oh, Van yeah. Fleet. Good band. Right. Greta Van Fleet, mm -hmm. uh, Dirty Honey, um, you know, a couple of bands here and there where in the in the, the 70s, the 80s, even the 90s and the grunge scene. America carried, you know, ninety percent of the torch, and now there's just there's just nothing, or next to nothing, and I don't know the yeah. reason why. Well, the only uh, most of the ninety percent of the bands that I hear nowadays, they all sound the same. 
So you, when you do find a band that sounds a little different, then they can break through. But I mean, I think there's a lot of that going on too. Everybody is using the same software to record the same yes, plugins. That, that is true. Yes. And, and I, everything comes out sounding the same and they use right. the same processing on their vocals and right. You know, Very generic. Just, I, I agree. But that's across the whole industry, yes. I, I find, too. Like, even Sweden has put out so much good stuff over the last 20 years, but I find now everything that gets regurgitated out of Sweden kind of just sounds the same. It sounds like that typical Swedish melodic hard rock. And, um, yeah. you know, like the States back in the, in the 70s and the 80s, there was so much eclectic great bands that really set the stage for everything you, yourself and, and, and myself like. And there's just nothing. Maybe Greta Van Fleet touched on that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe uh, one band in the last ten years. You know, it's 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 very for me as as a longtime fan. It's just very disappointing. I was just curious what your what your feelings were about that. Yeah, I miss the seventies and eighties when it's not just I'm nostalgic for the music or anything, but I'm 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 missing the the originality. Yes, of bands. absolutely, absolutely. Me too. Thanks for your input on that. I was just curious uh, to see if you looked at it the same way I did. The lack of originality is probably the bottom line for why it is the way it is, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, um, hey, everybody, this was uh, Mark Bowles. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight, Mark. We had a, a great conversation here. Uh, thanks for, you know, giving you us your thoughts. On, yeah, thanks Thanks for your thoughts on, on all the, the plethora of projects that Tom threw at you earlier. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, uh, bring we'll, back memories. Yeah, well, we'll uh, we'll let you get uh, get back to the uh, the cruise ship happenings there, and uh, say, wish you safe travels, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you uh, at some point soon. Okay, thanks, thanks guys. Take care. I appreciate it. You were definitely uh, one of my favorite guests so far, but by far, so it was, <laughs> it was really a pleasure. Oh, uh, thanks a lot, guys. It's really great talking to you. Same great. here. Keep Thank in touch. You. Thanks, Mark. Okay. Bye-bye. Take, Take care. care. Bye bye. So, everybody, that was uh, our interview with Mark Bowles. Uh, that was a good one, right, Tom? I would say probably, this. I think this is our 30th episode, probably yes. in my top three. Okay. Maybe yeah. one or two. Uh, mainly because I, I've always been a huge fan of Mark's. He's been in so many things. It's almost impossible to keep up with everything as much as I try. And uh, he was just a great interview. He was very honest. He was very frank. He was very glib. Uh, he gave a lot of insight on different things that uh, neither one of us, and I'm assuming a lot of the listeners, don't know. And, uh, yeah, he was a joy to have. It took us a while to get him because he's he's been very busy right now, and we've been really on the, on the trail to get him on the show. And uh, it was worth the wait. I hope everybody enjoys it as much as me and Mark did uh, doing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, here's a guy. I mean, uh, we, we had and you had a pile of CDs in front of you. Like, yeah. I couldn't you couldn't even see over it. Up to the microphone. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm, I've got my papers and my notes in front of me. I mean, he's been on so much stuff over the years, you know, like I said, you know, Ingve Malmsteen, uh, of course, you know, solo stuff, uh, Ring of Fire and just a million other things he's guested on. He's, you know, done few songs here and there on albums and just so much stuff and you know so we talked a, a good chunk of that right i mean yeah now he's a benchmark singer in my my opinion now he's up there with joe linterna um jeff scott soto uh, a few other guys that i basically i would buy something just to hear them sing even if the song isn't that great just to you know have their vocals he's yeah. really made made it quite a career for himself and uh, he's still going strong he sounds better than ever and uh, he's still more involved than ever yeah. And uh, long may he run. He really is. Uh, he's an American treasure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and his latest project is uh, Shining Black. They got a couple albums out in the last uh, couple yeah, of years. Yeah, which is and, some of the best stuff that he's done in years. Yeah. Yeah. Really good stuff. I mean, it's it's melodic, but it's it's hard rock. It's it's metal. Yeah. It's, it's just really good stuff. Uh, Catchy, great songs. Um, yeah. Really good stuff. So he said he's still going strong. So, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. This was a good interview. thought we had some fun with it. We had some laughs. Oh, yeah. Sure. It was great. Yeah, so. and it took us, like I said, it took us a while to pin it down because he's been really busy, and yeah. he was very, very accommodating with uh, trying to get on the show with us also. So yeah. I, I did appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. So uh, yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed this uh, interview with Mark Bowles, and uh, we'll be back uh, real soon with a brand new episode of the Jersey Guys podcast. <laughs>